Hi everyone, I'm Gareth. This is Somewhere on Earth. It's Tuesday the 9th of January 2024, would you believe it? I'm in London and we have voices from the USA and Brazil today. And joining me for a bit of presenter friendliness is Angelica Mary. It's always so lovely to do this, Angelica. How's things? Hey, I'm so happy to be back. Um, I'm all get up for the new year. No January blues or anything. <laughs> you sound like there's a lot of energy going on there. And uh, so you're <laughs> there in Sao Paulo. Um, and for the record, by the way, of course, it's January here in London. So it's very cold. How is it over there in Sao Paulo? You, you're in the, your summer, aren't you? Well, I didn't mean to brag, but uh, it's <laughs> but. blistering sun out there. <laughs> it's really, really hot. <laughs> oh. All right, Angelica, that sets us up very nicely. Let's crack on with the show. And coming up today... Some remarkable technology for you. 3D printing with a difference... Producing skin. Yes, this is where a printer builds the skin up in layers, just as our natural skin grows. We'll find out how they're doing it and how far the technology has come. Also in this edition, Angelica over there, she tells us about the problem of mobile phone theft in Brazil. Spoiler alert, it's bad. But help is at hand. And might we be about to award another coveted subscriber number? Hmm, I'll leave that one hanging. It's all right here on the Somewhere on Earth podcast. All right, now first, imagine this scenario. You're in hospital, you need a skin graft. And this is, of course, where surgeons would usually take skin from one part of your body and apply it to the wound or whatever else needs to be healed. But this time, the doctors reach for a ready-made sheet of skin and they graft that instead. So could that kind of intervention actually be on its way? A team of scientists at Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in the United States have 3D printed full thickness human skin, and they've done it for the very first time. It's a little way from the clinic for now, but the researchers behind it are sounding encouraged, to say the least. Dr Anthony Attala has been telling me that the process begins by taking a small skin biopsy from the patient. We take a very small piece of tissue from the patient, typically less than half the size of a postage stamp, and we then are able to expand those cells outside the body using the right soup, if you will. And we can then use those cells to either create the tissue by hand or, or print it. Right, so you have these skin cells that amazingly then you can replicate. I don't know if that's the right medical scientific word for it, but you know what I'm I'm getting at. So you start with original skin cells from a patient and then you're able to reproduce those. And I've been loosely calling it in the introduction to this story 3D printing of skin. Is it 3D printing? Am I just getting the terminology right here? Uh, Yes, that is correct. It is uh, 3D printing or so-called bioprinting for cells. But basically, it's using, uh, you know, printing devices that will automate the process uh, so that we can have better reproducibility and better automation and scale-up. How does it work in practice, then? So you start with this skin biopsy. You say that you can then effectively culture 
skin cells that match that in order to mass produce them. And when we talk about 3D printing, I'd imagine many of our listeners, including me, I just almost have the impression of one of those desktop 3D printers that we're aware of that might print little plastic widgets and things. Clearly what you're doing is very different. So just talk about that process. But in fact, it is actually, just like you said, it is uh, like the printer that you have at home, your desktop inkjet printer. That's how we really got started. Just imagine your desktop inkjet printer, you have the cartridge, the ink cartridge. Instead of using ink, we're using cells. And uh, furthermore, what we built a 3D elevator on our original printers. So every time the printhead would go through, there was a 3D elevator that would lower itself. So in fact, you're printing two-dimensionally over and over and over again to create 3D structures. Right, so in layers. That's exactly right. So we print in layers. And, and by doing so, we then are able to uh, create the construct based on how we programmed the printer to do so. Which is incredibly appropriate because, of course, our skin does have layers. And you, you're actually able to print, your, to replicate all three of the main layers of skin through this process then, is it? Well, that was the, uh, the main thing. You know, when you're looking at skin, it's actually quite a complex organ we kind of tend to uh, overlook how complex it really is. But your skin turns over very quickly. Uh, every 7 to 10 days, uh, basically your whole skin cover is gone. In other words, the cells that were on your surface just a couple of weeks ago are no longer there. They've already changed over. But skin is really made out of three layers, three distinct layers, with about uh, you know many different cell types. And that was the, uh, the main thing about uh, this. It took years to get it right to make sure that we could get all those cells, that we could expand them correctly, and that we could print the three layers uh, adequately. What I'm imagining here is almost like a sheet, then, is it? Kind of that comes out, and if so, is it A4 size, like a piece of paper in the office? Just tell us what comes out of the printer. Absolutely. It is like a sheet, in fact, and but it's a three-layer sheet. And uh, it has all these different cell types. See, each layer has different cells. And so when you are printing this tissue, you basically come out with this sheet of tissue that then you can use and uh, and implant. And so it is really thicker than you would expect, actually. It's uh, more so than just a regular sheet of paper. Full thickness skin is actually quite uh, quite robust, if you will. And so with this robust, full-printed sheet of skin you obviously apply it in some way in this work that you're presenting here is this in humans so far or in animal models where are we at well we have indeed printed human skin cells to make these sheets uh, but we have also used these in preclinical models so we could implant them uh, as a replacement of skin preclinically and show that it actually does work very nicely it works very well Right. And how do you measure the results of this? And you say it works well. Is this just that the body doesn't reject it? The skin grows back okay? It looks okay? It heals? It would be all those kind of metrics you'd be looking for in a conventional skin graft that you're able to do or get very close to in this technology then, is it? That's exactly right. See, the patients do get skin grafts today. And typically, they get them from their own skin. That's, that's what happens. But then you can't really get a really good take on this skin many times uh, for larger defects because, for example, for a patient with a burn, uh, there's just not enough skin to go around 
uh, or even for a patient with, uh, who requires just a smaller graft, taking skin from another site then causes scar on the donor site, the, the place in the body where you take skin to put somewhere else. So th- what we uh, studied was to be sure that the, these uh, uh, bioprinted skin layers and, and tissues could be implanted, uh, that they could be assimilated in, in uh, living tissue, and that they would actually function as they would for just normal skin. When might we see this technology rolled out into clinics around the world? Well, that's in fact always a long path. You know, we do have the regulatory uh, requirements that need to be fulfilled where the release criteria has to be met uh, time and time again. So that's actually something that we are uh, working on currently to make sure that we can get this out to patients around the world. The point being then is that you would say the technology is pretty well proven. It's more now the regulatory hurdles that need to be counted, would you say? Yes, absolutely. And also making sure that we can get the cost down for the procedures. That's one of the things about uh, 3D printing is that you are able to automate the process and by doing so also reduce cost. And by how much, any factor that you can say, does it halve the cost, you know, quarter of it, or, or potentially anyway, give you those kind of reductions? Or? It is definitely less expensive because you are not creating it by hand, you know. So by automating the process, you just, you know, program the printer to do so. And of course, the printer's doing the work as opposed to creating it by hand. So just by that factor alone, uh, you're able to decrease the cost substantially. That's Dr. Anthony Atala. And uh, if you want to hear more from him, then we have a bit more available. That is on the subscription version of this very podcast. Yes, uh, from this edition, we are bringing in the subscription. So that's where you get extra content. You just have to pay a little bit for it. It's not a king's ransom, but uh, we'd love you to subscribe if you can. And you will hear Dr. Anthony Atala answering some of my additional questions. Things like, you know, given that they're printing skin here and it's coming out of a nozzle, in fact, a series of nozzles on a printer, skin is kind of squishy stuff, if you know what I mean. It's not like ink. So how come it doesn't clog up the printer how did they fix that and i put that to him i thought well that's a stupid question but actually it unlocked this amazing answer but you'll only hear it if you subscribe to the podcast there you go and obviously only if you can afford it i know that you know not everyone can afford extra bits and pieces of expenditure in this day and age and we get that but if you want to then check it out and to find our subscription Go to Buzzsprout, so that's our podcast hosting platform, so you may not have heard of it, but if you just put into a search engine, Google basically, um, Buzzsprout, and then somewhere on earth, okay, so Buzzsprout, and then somewhere on earth, and it will take you to the very first trailer that we made for this podcast, and you'll see there's like a black banner about halfway down the page, and that's got all the subscription, you know, press a button, and you just kind of go through the process that way. We will make it easy for for you to subscribe, because I'll be honest, we want your money, so of course we're going to make it easy. But for the time being, it's a bit clunky, but it does work. Just um, Google Buzzsprout, 
somewhere on earth and um, you can hear extra content for the show. All right, uh, Angelica, let's keep on though with uh, Dr. Nee, Dr. Anthony Atella and that uh, remarkable interview we've just heard. And uh, it seems to me that it's taking us into further into this whole era of personalised medicine. We're going into the future of medicine here, aren't we? So, uh, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, um, I think this concept of uh, expanding skill cell, skin cells uh, outside the body to create tissue is really revolutionary. I find it really fascinating and I've been writing about that. And I think that as the technology matures, it's, it's not really hard to imagine a future where creating this personalized uh, skin grafts for patients will be quite common. And uh, you can imagine what it could do for uh, burn victims, for example, as Dr. Atala was referring to but also people who need reconstructive surgery, for example. I think that in future, we might see even bioprinting evolving to 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 address n- not just the replication of skin, but to print complex tissues and organs. And um, I think this, this possibility of creating patient-specific organs, personalized organs and tissues on demand could really, could really be a, a, another breakthrough in medicine, not just in transplant medicine, but also in other medical fields, is quite fascinating, and it could uh, it could lead to a to a significant reduction in animal testing, for example, because you're going to have access to uh, to tissue that is more accurate for research as well. So good for everybody. Sure thing. And so certainly one aspect of personalised medicine that I'm interested in is this whole idea of genomics now, all this genetic data that we increasingly have and that we can get ever more affordably around us. And also things like cancer tumour, you know, can be really all about, you know, targeting tumour with specific drugs. So again, very much going down that personalised route. Um, but also, Angelica, you know, I was interested during that interview with Dr. Atella about the affordability of all this and that's a very important factor because it's all very well sitting here talking about some amazing medicine that perhaps 0.1% of the global population may one day have access to but he certainly seems to think this can be affordable and you know significant for people around the world yeah we wanted we wanted to reach uh, clinical practice right and uh, yeah that's a it's a major challenge uh, as dr talak quite rightly pointed out. I think the uh, the focus on automation in bioprinting will be very important to uh, to drive down cost. Uh, it will make that kind of treatment more accessible to a wider population. And indeed, I think the, uh, the this democratization of high-end medical tech will be very crucial for healthcare in the years to come. But I think it's, it's not a trivial process at all. And this integration into clinical practice um, will, will involve uh, this, how, how, how shall I put it, uh, this dance of uh, a tech refinement, regulatory compliance, and of course, uh, economic considerations like we're discussing right now, so that it works for as many people as possible. I think we'll eventually get there, but it might take some time. It may take some time. And how funny that, as you should be saying that, you know how little updates come up on your computer. I thought I'd switch them off for this, but I'm still <laughs> getting updates coming in. And uh, one of them is a, a paper in a high-impact journal about why P is yellow. Um, so it's, oh, oh. The, the wonders <laughs> of modern science. Oh my goodness, where will it end? All right, but I won't ask you uh, on that because I guess you probably 
probably haven't seen that update yet, but uh, yeah, stand by for that one. Okay, now then, I think we should hear from one of our dear listeners. And we've been inviting you, of course, to leave us your voice messages. We'd love to hear your voice. Um, and we have this one from listener Thor Simpson. And uh, well, he heard us talking about archiving in our penultimate show of 2023. And well, you know, the podcast really had um it had thor thinking things through a little bit of course you don't want everything on a machine necessarily if you're going to be hijacked ransomware if you put everything that's really important into one directory it'd be much easier to back up very quickly but then turning to what do we want to back up anyway it starts to become quite a philosophical question What is the purpose of the backup, apart from the day-to-day of necessity? What do we want to keep for long-term? Who are we keeping it for? And then the actual mechanics. Bill, you had a few ideas. There was one that's been discussed before that I haven't heard recently. was about laser writing into glass. Glass is so stable. And it occurred to me that we used to hear about the Bible being printed on the back of a postage stamp. Maybe we should use ordinary writing, minute microscopic ordinary writing, in glass, so that only the magnifying glass has to be invented, inverted commas, to start again. There we are. That's an amazing set of thoughts there from Thor Simpson. And um, yeah, that idea of writing data onto glass, obviously it'd be a read-only method. But yeah, it's there's a whole um, sort of technology around that. And um, I remember looking into it some time ago. So I think you're onto something there, Thor. And most of all, just asking, yeah, philosophically, what do we want to save? What do we want to archive and why? Given, especially with big server farms, and if you like conventional storage using of course racks and racks of hard drives very very energy intensive and uh, it's getting to the point now where we're just having server farms just full of hard drives whirring away quite possibly with a load of junk on them that no one's ever going to read again and it just makes you wonder and uh, I think Thor has drawn everyone's attention to that just that whole issue of just asking not so much the what and the how but the why so thank you very much indeed for that listener Thor Simpson All right, so while one group of researchers has been pushing the boundaries of medical technology to work out why urine is yellow, (laughs) and indeed doing other things as we were hearing there about uh, this incredible work in um, artificial um, skin, of course, then on the other side of the scale, there are some people who have nothing better to do than just to go around stealing mobile phones and generally making people miserable. Uh, So mobile phone theft, I'm afraid, is a big problem all over the place. But in Brazil, especially, Especially Angelica. And um, help is at hand, though, from what I gather. So tell me a little bit about this, about the mobile phone theft problem, and then a bit about how there may be some help around all this. Yeah, almost a million phones were stolen in Brazil in 2022. So uh, these are numbers from the, uh, the Brazilian Public Security Forum. And that's an increase of over 16% in relation to 2021. Um, but what's interesting to criminals, as you can imagine, is not necessarily the phones, but the data inside them. And um, you have varying levels of digital literacy in Brazil, which means a lot of people don't know how to use the uh, security features of their phones, like hidden folders or even passwords to, to lock their phones. So 
it becomes quite important to develop public policy and tools to uh, to protect the population from what's a, a very uh, widespread type of crime. Mm. So there is this kind of kind of state-backed solution now, isn't there? Not so much to the theft itself, but more about just making sure the phone is blocked if it, you know, if somebody does have the misfortune to have their uh, phone stolen. That's right. Yeah. So this is a tool that was launched last month by uh, the Brazilian Ministry of Justice in partnership with the National Telecommunications Agency and the Brazilian Federation of Banks and ABR Telecom, which is the, um, the, the, the body that handles number portability in telephony in Brazil. So their systems talk to each other. So the goal here is to avoid data being accessed by criminals and also to stop people from using mobile banking apps without, without uh, authorization. So basically, it allows individuals who had their mobile phones stolen, robbed or lost to, uh, to notify the government partner institutions and banks through a single platform. So individuals need to register their mobile phone numbers under their citizen ID to trigger the alert. And you can also register trusted uh, contact, so meaning that that person uh, could trigger the alert for you, but they also need to have a citizen ID. That's optional, though. Stay with us. We'll be right back. AI is changing the game of business. Will you be on the winning team? I'm Jordan Wilson, the host of the Everyday AI podcast, and your coach to help you learn the X's and O's of AI. Artificial intelligence isn't just a new player in the game, it's a new sport altogether. So if you don't quickly put AI into play, your competitors will run up the score. I've spent my whole life building winning teams, from coaching basketball to working with big players like Nike and Jordan Brand. My next move, helping you win with Everyday AI. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or on everydayaipodcast.com. Let's tap into AI together and put points on the board. So this needs to be immediate, doesn't it? You know, if you just realise your phone's been stolen, you want that thing blocked right away, don't you? Because, you know, it's got your mobile payments on it. It's more than just your phone calling device, isn't it? There's a load of stuff on your phone that you do not want getting into the wrong hands. So how immediate is it to block the phone? Well, that's the thing. The, the, the process for blocking the phone is not immediate. Uh, the, the agency that deals with the uh, mobile portability will... They, they will forward the block request within six hours. So can you imagine <laughs> six hours of utter oh, despair? Yeah. And, uh, and, and carriers could take an additional business day. So uh, the banks, though, they vary in response time. So some say they will, they will immediately block it and some others will take up to 30 minutes. So this tool, uh, Celular Seguro, they don't, completely disable the devices. So it's not a tool that will render a, a, a mobile phone useless because that would require operating system blocks. So, so far, Google is the only major developer planning to join this project. And it seems the government will extend the service to include SIM card blocking by February the 9th. So that's to enhance security further. Right. So if you're in your in Brazil, just try not to get your phone stolen at all, but definitely not before <laughs> February yeah. the 19th. But then this other functionality will come in. It will get better. And probably like any system, it's going to get slicker. It should, we hope, get better. But what about the uptake so far? 
Well, um, so far, more than uh, than a million people have signed up um, in the two weeks since the uh, the system was launched. Um, so that's a lot, but not a lot if you consider that we have over 200 million uh, people mm. living in this country and massive mobile phone penetration. So uh, the government needs to do more in terms of letting people know there is a tool that protects mobile phone users. So this is a bit different to what was in place previously. Uh, so just to clarify, previously uh, a user had the option to, for, for example, blocking the IMEI. So that's the International Mobile Equipment Identity. So that's a unique 15-digit serial number that identifies a device. Every device has one. Um, so when you block the device, uh, the, the IMIE of a device, it, it can no longer make calls or access mobile data. But still, these steps were seen as sort of insufficient or too slow, especially in cases of uh, financial fraud and data theft, like we were discussing just now. So that's why cellular security is having a lot of interest, because it's perceived as being more effective. But again that's among uh, digitally literate people. So a lot of people have signed up, but the government still needs to let people know they exist. Yeah, sure. Angelica, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, well, now I tell you, I'm, I'm in the mood for hearing more listeners as well in this edition, at least one more listener. I think we've got time for another. Yeah, come on. Hey, let's do that. So we have this lovely voice message here and uh, it comes with a subscriber number request. So we w- might have to convene the committee after this, Angelica. So be prepared for that. So if you can just get, you know, put your very formal wear on. Uh, it's a very serious and solemn part of the podcast as you can imagine so we do need to kind of gear ourselves up for that i'm just sending that out there but anyway let's hear this particular marvelous message hello somewhere on earth my name is wissam hassan i am a huge fan of the old show and even bigger fan of the new show love everything about it it's brilliant if i may request a subscriber number 1024 short story why this number is significant i work as a continuous improvement specialist and in my work with england highway maintenance work they when they scoop the top layer of the motorway and lay new tarmac on top national average is 240 tons per shift after our improvement work they achieved on the first pilot night 1,024 tons, which was a huge moment and a big success. So that's why I like 1,024. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much and keep doing what you're doing best. We certainly will. Thank you very much. I, I, he should be a motivational speaker, shouldn't he? It's just what you want on a cold <laughs> January day here in London. And uh, he's saying, come on, just keep it, keep it up. Keep doing what you do best. So thank you very much. And with that uh, request for a subscriber number, uh, which was uh, 1,024. And I haven't quite seen that, that whole road building thing coming up. I hadn't <laughs> realised there was quite that connection there. So you learn something new every week on 
this podcast. And, um, well, I think we should convene the committee. So we have Anya here in the studio, producer Anya. This is how seriously we take things if Anya comes to. <laughs> it either means you're going to be told off or <laughs> we're doing the subscriber number committee. And, of course, you're there as well, Angelica. So, people, we just need to briefly, before we go, consider that request then for listener number 1024. Well, as 1, 000, it yeah, was left on the WhatsApp, that's a mm. yes from me. It's really. immediate yes from <laughs> Anya. Do we need to temper things at all here from you, Angelica, as in just the merit of that number in itself and uh, with Anne's, um case for having that number or not? I think it's a... It, I'll just qualify my uh, decision. <laughs> I think it's an it, it's a nod to the brink of rolling over to a quite significant binary level. So oh. I'd say yes. You've been granted 124 bytes of fame, but just don't spend it all in one bite. Oh, oh, that's so good, isn't it? Because you mean the number of bits in a kilobyte, isn't it, or yeah. something? Gosh, yes. <laughs> because a kilobyte is actually 1,024 bits. Um, yeah. And of course, you tend to say, well, kilo, we think of meaning um, thousands. I think in Europe, there Sorry, was... Sorry, just a bit of geekery. A <laughs> bit of geekery. And so I think there was a drive to have a, an alternative name to differentiate between the kilobyte and the something else bytes, which was the true one with 1024. Anyway, um, I won't get bogged down in it. But fun fact, of course, 1024, kind of relating to it all, really, is that uh, that number is two to the power of 10. Um, so, yeah. Gosh, wow. All right. So I would say on that basis alone, it's just an interesting number in technology. Wissan's got this whole other reason for loving the number. So I think they are two separate claims to the subscriber number there. And indeed three, if you include it being left and requested on a voice message. It's a yes from us. Definitely. Congratulations. You're on the amazing database, as in my spreadsheet that I need to update now. So um, well done, everybody. That is great. Um, and that'll do for now. I'll just let's do the socials again as ever. So our email address is hello at somewhereonearth.co. If you want to follow those glorious listeners onto WhatsApp and leave us a voice message uh, with an enhanced chance of getting your subscriber number, then it's um, international code 44-7486-329-484. That's code 44-7486-329-484. And on most of your major social media platforms apart from tiktok i'm afraid so far but we are soap tech just search for that s-o-e-p tech there you go that'll do us audio this week has been by dylan burton and keziah wenham kenyon and the production manager is liz tui you've heard there from angelica maori yet again i seem to have forgotten my name but our editor here in the studio with us is say it yourself Anya there she is that's it for this time but stay listening if you subscribe there's more where this come came from if you haven't subscribed that's it we'll see you next time bye-bye